The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but not love, I am a noisy clong or symbols. If I have perfect powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so to remove mountains, but not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irrational or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and for we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a minor dimly. When face to face, now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abides. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to worship you together as one body of believers. Thank you for your word and the new life that it brings us. As we worship together tonight, we pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear and understand the truths you want us to learn. We pray that we would be faithful to apply these truths to our lives in ways that honor you. We pray for Xavier as he brings us the message tonight that you would speak clearly through him in all that he says. May your Holy Spirit be with him as he shares with us from your word. Thank you, Lord, for your faithful and enduring love towards us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. And good evening, everybody. Um, I was just thinking as we were singing that last hymn, this is the first time I've ever looked out from this view and it's pretty amazing seeing everybody and also hearing everybody from that perspective is it's really neat i also can tell if you're paying attention or not because i can see all of you so that's cool yeah um so yeah tonight we'll be we'll be looking in first corinthians 13 and as before i get get started getting into the text um my hope is tonight that i can answer a few key questions um regarding this text first What is love in the context of 1 Corinthians, and how does it relate to the world today? Uh, The second question is, what does it show about God's character? And then third, with that understanding of his character, how can we practically apply that in the ways that we live? So these are the three questions that you can keep in in your mind um, as we go through. And and just as we jump in, um, and I was preparing this, I realized there's so much context 
to everything that Paul writes. And before reading any portion of scripture, but especially anything with Paul, I'm realizing you, you have to understand the context. And so, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most popular and one of the most recognized chapters in the whole Bible. And yet, as I'm reading through it and reading the, the chapters before it and after, I was, I was amazed because the reason that Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 13 is just not what I had ever thought before. If you look back to 1 Corinthians 12, um, Paul is talking about and he's talking about uh, unity in the church, and he's talking about spiritual gifts, and and First uh, Corinthians thirteen is a direct response to that. Um, so, if we were to take this ver- or this section, and we were just to read it for what it is, and jump to the application, there would actually be a pretty big discrepancy with what I think the author would actually want. So, just a little bit of context for what's going on in chapter twelve, leading into chapter thirteen. Uh, first off, Paul is writing to a church that had been established, had been established in Corinth a uh, few years prior to the letter that he wrote. Corinth is a fairly new and prosperous city, and with all of this prosperity, uh, there, there came a lot of pride. There was a general sense of pride in the church. And so when a few years later Paul receives this letter he, uh, from the church that he planted, he's, he's made aware of this high level of division in the church, and mainly as a result of this pride. Some of the problems included theological confusion over who Jesus really was. There was debate over marriage. And then, most importantly for the context of this text, there was a lot of argument over corporate worship and chaos over how spiritual gifts were being exercised. So what was happening that was that in the early, in the early church, these Corinthians had been anointed um, with various spiritual gifts. And uh, Paul includes, you know, with these prophecy, the ability to speak in tongues, to heal, to, uh, to teach, to administer. And so with all of these gifts, they were growing in pride. And they were, they were using these gifts as a source for their pride and using them improperly. So they practiced, you know, Paul, there's recounts of spontaneous and sporadic use of these gifts in a chaotic manner. And so when Paul hears this, he rebukes it. And that's what, that's what chapter 12 is about. He says that these gifts are exactly that. They're nothing more and gifts. And so they're not a measure of pride and they should only be used to uplift the church because the church is one body made of many members and many gifts and that it should all be used together not to proclaim yourself but to proclaim Jesus. And so that's where I'll pick up. I'm going to start in the last four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, starting at verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And so as you look at that, that last sentence is, is absolutely crucial to the development into chapter 13. He says, I will show you a still more excellent way. That's a response to all of these gifts that he's saying by themselves, they're really not that much, but through this more excellent way, they become something that's worth a lot more. And uh, based on you know, the chapter 13, that more excellent way is through love. So he sets it up this way, saying, earnestly desire these gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And so now, getting into chapter 13, I'm going to have three points uh, laying out for you tonight. And the first point 
of chapter 13 is that love is the most excellent way. So we're going to start, and I have it broken up three points uh, by the three paragraphs. So at this point, I'm going to just read uh, verses 1 through 3. Again, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So the first thing to notice here is that Paul specifically addresses exactly what he had talked about at the end of chapter 12. And that is, with the speaking in tongues, that's the first thing he says, addressing, addressing these spiritual gifts. And based on the amount of times that he talks about speaking in tongues uh, throughout 1 Corinthians, this must have been a great concern uh, for the church, and there must have been a lot of conflict over it. He just brings it up so many times. But I love what he says about it, because remember, there's a lot of pride in this church that's fueling speaking in tongues, and it was being done incorrectly. But he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So if you try to just picture this sound, um, many times when I've read it, I haven't really thought about how, how strong those words are. If you can just picture someone in this room right now, like clanging cymbals or a, like a gong, like that, it's not just like he's saying it's background noise or that it's just a little disturbing. He's saying it's chaotic, it's annoying, and and on it, like it has no point. There's no point to it without love. He says not only is it just not useful, but the practice of speaking in tongues without love is nothing. It's a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, and it's pointless for the overall goal of building the unity of the church to proclaim God. So his first example in speaking of tongues, he says, is pointless without love. And he continues. Um, He uses five other examples in the first three verses, um, including prophetic powers, the understanding of all mysteries and knowledge, having all faith so as to remove mountains, and then the last two aren't gifts as much as they are actions, um, giving away all that you have and delivering up your body to be burned. And, he, and Paul brings up the point, he says, what are these things without love? Well, if you look in, chapters, or in verse 2, it says, if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And so for these three, he says, they are literally nothing without love. And this is striking to me, because previously in chapter 12, and then also he says it in chapter 14, he places a really big emphasis on some of these things. Like these, he's, not saying, he's not discounting faith. He's not discounting prophecy. These are important things. And you can see in, in chapter 12, like I said, he says, earnestly desire for the gift of prophecy, for it uplifts and encourages the church. And you see, he ranks it as second of all the gifts, right behind being an apostle. But what is the gift of prophecy without love? It is nothing, he says. And even more striking to me is faith. Um, you know, how many times has Paul brought up faith is so important throughout his letters, and that's such a crucial part of the Christian faith, and you'd think that'd be an important one, but, and, and if you had all the faith in the world as to remove mountains, that's a really high level of faith, but he says with all of that, with all the knowledge, with all the understanding of all mysteries, it is still nothing. It's still zero if they're not exercised with a heart of love. And, and so what strikes me about this is that he's not using illegitimate examples to prove that love is the most excellent way. He's using these really big concepts, core parts of what the, the Christian faith is and how worship 
what was happening in this time. Like, it's not like he's saying, you know, you're doing the dishes without a heart of love, so therefore it's worth nothing. He's saying, if you have faith without love, it's worth nothing. If you're worshiping without love, it's worth nothing. Now, I'm pretty sure most parents wouldn't care if their kids did the dishes with a heart of love or not. They just want to get them done. But Paul says, no, none of this matters. First, fix your heart, and then these gifts are worth something. But if your heart is not fixed, they're worth nothing. So I'm going to conclude this point with the final example that Paul gives, uh, which is delivering up your body to be burned. In other words, to give up your life. I think in the first century this would have held a little bit more impact than maybe it does today because this is actually something that was happening. Uh, First century Christians saw great significance in deeds of self-sacrifice and of charity. And even for Jesus to be the example, they followed it a lot more literally than uh, many people would today. Here Paul says, though, that, and this is interesting because it contrasts the first three. Not only is it worth nothing, but he says you gain nothing. He says, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. It, it's absolutely pointless without love. And if there was any part of tonight that you could listen to, I think this would be the most important. Because Paul says it's worth nothing to give up your life, but how about in the instances where your life has been given up that we've seen in history with love? And I don't think it'd be an overstatement for me to say that the greatest action, the greatest single action in the history of the world was, was someone giving their life, right? Jesus, giving his life. But that person had perfected love. He embodied love. And how? Because he's the son of God who is love. And that's what my second point is going to be, is that God is love. But the point I'm making here is, you could give up your life without love, it's worth nothing. But then, the one person who gave up his life for everyone with perfect love, that's the greatest act in the history of, uh, of the world. So it makes all the difference. And, in that, and because of that, love is the most excellent way. So, Jesus, because he's the Son of God, who is love, is, is qualified. And uh, moving to verses 4 through 7... Um, I'll just read them here again. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So verses 4 through 7 are a little bit different than the first three. The, the first three is, are, verses are talking about instances where love is not present. Four through seven talk about instances where it is. And so the question is, what is love? Well, it says it right here. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It rejoices with truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And last, but certainly not least, it endures all things. It's eternal. And, and what, is, what is love not? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not irritable or resentful. And it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And so I believe that, you know, as you read this, these are clearly characteristics and and attributes of love that God lays before us, but I also believe that they are characteristics of God because the Bible tells us that God is love. And so not only are they characteristics of God, but I think this is what what God is. God is love. And so I'm going to flip to uh, 1 John chapter 4. Just read three verses there uh, if you want to read with me. Um, briefly to, to just show that God is love. It says, starting at verse 7, 1 John 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, 
and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us, and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for all of our sins. And so this, I mean, just these three verses of himself, they they really strike me because that's the gospel right there, is that we didn't love God, but he decided to love us and gave his son as a propitiation for our our sins. But right there, it qualifies Jesus, or it qualifies God, I'm sorry, as as saying God is love. It says it clearly in verse 8, God is love. And, And there's other, you know, points in the Bible where it says that, and that's shown through his character. So if God is love and love is all of the things that Paul just listed, then it would also be accurate to say that God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way, is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And and so this is what's really the most important thing to recognize, because Paul says it's vain to have powers of prophecy... And it's vain to have gifts of understanding and of knowledge without love. But God, in an act of great love, sent Jesus, who had all of those gifts and more, right? He had all of those gifts and more, and he perfected them by exercising them with perfect love. And it says that, it says here, it says, if, if you give away all that you have, or if you deliver up your body to be burned, even to the point of death without love, you are nothing. But when Jesus died on the cross for us, like I said, he had that perfect love, and therefore, those gifts were perfected, and they were worth something because they were used for their proper purpose, the way that God intended it. And so, here's what's the most beautiful part of it all. The greatest act of love, I believe, that has ever been shown by God was for him to send his son to rescue us from our sins because we didn't deserve that. And so that's why I love the gospel. I don't know if even Paul is intending it here, but everything points back to Jesus. It always points back to Jesus in the gospel. And Paul says, stop looking to these gifts as the source of your pride. Take pride in the fact that you have Jesus. The answer is to look to Jesus, the greatest gift of love. And if you're searching for love, that's where you're going to find it. Right? To perfect those gifts, you will find it through Jesus and through looking to Jesus. And I feel like we hear this so often that sometimes we forget just what he did for us. And, and just how that sacrificial love was not about him at all. It was completely for others. Um, I should have mentioned earlier the love that it's talking about in this, um, in the Greek, there's, there's three different terms for love, and he's talking about agape, love, which is selfless love. It's love that has nothing to gain for yourself and everything to gain for the person that you are loving. And so Paul is telling the Corinthians, stop being prideful, stop looking to yourself, and stop loving yourself, but look to Christ Because when you do, it's going to manifest itself through your life, and that's going to look like love, which is going to perfect the spiritual gifts, which basically is going to cure any conflict. I mean, that's that's where he's going with it. And so, God is love, and because of that, we have a choice, and I'm going to get to that later in the application. But my last point, and that's in the last paragraph of, of this chapter, is that love endures. So I'll read that. It says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy, we prophesy in part, but when when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have fully been known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So we established the first point, that love is the most excellent way, and that God is love, so therefore God through God, is the most excellent way, through his Son, Jesus Christ. And, that, and that's the gospel right there. But Paul, again, addresses the vanity of these earthly gifts. Because not only is it the most excellent way, but it, it, it's the most enduring way. It endures forever. It's eternal. He says, love never ends, but the prophecies are going to pass away. Speaking in tongues is going to pass away. And you, you could put any of the gifts there. You could put you know, ministering, administration, all of those things that he says, they're going to pass away. And they have their purpose here on earth but through lo- and, and through love they have a higher purpose but even at the end those things aren't going to be here when Jesus comes back he says but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away who is the perfect he's talking about it's Jesus Jesus is going to come back and perfect the world so that those things are no longer needed and then what's left it, it, what's left is going to be love when the current world passes away God will still reign, and because God is love, love will endure. So this is what we're left with. We're left with love being more excellent, God being love, and God enduring forever. And then it says in the last verse, Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So faith, faith is that we trust in God's love for us, but remember, he says earlier in the chapter, faith by itself is not going to is not going to get you to Christ, right? You have to look at Him through love, and faith through love, because faith is nothing without it. But we do have faith. We have faith, and we trust in God's love for us. And then, second, hope. We trust that Jesus is coming again, and we hope for that, so that He will come to perfect the imperfect. And then, finally, most importantly, and I think it's fitting that the last word of this chapter is love. And He says, "The greatest of these is love, because the love will endure forever." It's the most excellent thing because God is love and God endures forever. And so because of that love, it's the most excellent way. And so those are my three points, but just for some application for tonight, and I'll close with a brief application to just pull this all together because honestly, we don't see, especially in, in Lancaster, you know, we don't see as much gifts of prophecy, gifts of tongue, some of that that, that was more prevalent in the first century, but I just I have a quick question that I want to ask this. If love is the most excellent way and we're to strive for love, then how do we see it? And how do we see it in our lives? And how do we live that out? So if you remember, the very first thing I said or, uh, was the importance of context. And if you remember, he's, he's talking about the Spirit here. Paul's talking about the Spirit. But spiritual gifts aren't just manifested in the things that he listed here. He also lists other stuff in other parts of the Bible. And we call them the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are gifts of the Spirit. And I think we can visualize those a little bit better than we might be able to visualize the other ones. We can visualize kindness. We can see that in everyday life. We can visualize goodness and faithfulness and self-control, but the same rules apply to them, right? And so even though it's easier to visualize, those things still are worth nothing if we aren't doing them out of a heart of love for others 
and not for ourselves. So I would encourage you to love through the use of the fruits of the Spirit. Practice kindness. Practice self-control, but not as a way of love, right? Or not to gain anything, but you're, you're doing that because you have God in you. And if you have an authentic and a real love driving your actions, you're experiencing a glimpse of God, a, a glimpse of perfection, because that, if you're doing that through love, you're seeing God because God is love. And if you have God in your heart, you're going to love. You have to love. It's the, it is literally the only response you can do if you have God in your heart is to love other people. And how are you going to see that? You're going to see that through kindness. You're going to see that through patience. You're going to see that through self-control. Those are the manifestations of love in your heart. And so finally, I'll just close with this. Um, and, and, and you see it in the last verse again, which I think is such a powerful verse. It says, This is our faith. And this is our hope, but greatest of all, this is our God. This is our loving God who loved us, and he endures forever. So love is the most excellent way, because it fulfills anything, and it endures forever. But most importantly, it is our loving God who endures forever that is in us. And because of him, we can love. Thank you, guys. Um, God, thank you for being a loving God. And thank you for showing that and for giving that to us. And I thank you that you allow us to that to express that. I pray that as we go into our weeks, we remember that you have given us this gift. You've given us your son. And that the only way the only way to life is through your son and through love. And I so I just pray that we would look out for situations that we can love and situations that we can be imitators of you, God. Thank you for giving us your word and your spirit, and thank you for your love again. And we ask this in your name. Amen.